If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9, um, verses 23 to 31 this morning. The book of Acts is full of all sorts of Bible heroes. Um, You know, there's Peter, and there's Paul, and Stephen. There's incredible women like Lydia, and Priscilla, and... Um, but as, as, you, as you continue reading through the book of Acts, one of the things that, that becomes apparent uh, or that it's, it's hard not to recognize is that the, the ultimate hero is God. It's, it's actually a story of God working in these people to use them, to change them and transform them. That's what we saw last week uh, when we saw uh, Jesus appear to, to Saul, who uh, was a hater and hunter of Christians and he confronted Saul, and he poured out his grace upon Saul in all, all sorts of different ra- ways, and he, and he transformed Saul into a person who would, who would speak boldly to convince others that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. He, he transformed him dramatically, right? And even in that passage in the beginning of, in, of, of Acts 9, we see how Jesus points out that, that Saul is his chosen instrument to carry his name, to the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. He's the, he's the chosen instrument of God to, to go forth and, and spread the news of Jesus. But before Saul gets to, to doing that, he needs to relearn some things about who God is. Even though he, he's, he's been thinking, he's been following God his whole life, he needs to relearn some things and, and, and learn some lessons from, from God. Um, and I think that's what we see here in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, as we're going to look at uh, chapter 9, verses 23 to 31, and I think it's important for us because every single one of us, I think, constantly needs to relearn things about who God is. We're constantly getting it wrong um, and, and forgetting the truth of who he is and who he calls us to be. And I think this is especially important, hopefully, um, if, if you don't have a sense of your own, like I just mentioned, that, that uh, Jesus had chosen Saul to for a specific purpose, a specific mission, if you don't have a sense of mission in your life, I mentioned last week that, that as God rescues us, as he opens our eyes to his, his goodness, he, he has a purpose for each and every one of us. He has a mission for each and every one of us that's specific to who we are and our circumstances. If you don't have a sense of that, then this won't be as applicable to you because you won't realize what you need to relearn as you do that mission, you know, um, in the lives of the people around you or in the church or in your workplace, in the world. Um, so I would consider, or encourage you, if you don't have a real sense of mission, this is what God's calling me to do, you know, I would encourage you to, to seek him and, and to pray and to say, God, what, what do you want me to be, be doing? How do you want me to be living for you? How do you want me to be, to be um, living for your name, the sake of your name in my work, in, in my family, in my life, okay? So listen to God's word as I read from Acts 9, verses 23 to 31. Um, again, Saul has been changed. He's, he's now in Damascus and he's been proclaiming Jesus to, to people in Damascus and, and arguing with them and convincing them uh, that Jesus is the Christ. And this is what happens next. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the, the apostles and declared to him how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word right now, that, uh, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to grasp the heights of your plans for us, that you would change us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The lesson of the dumpling. The lesson of the dumpling. I know some of you guys probably, your ears perked up. You're like, dumplings? What? I like dumplings. Didn't know it's going to be about dumplings. Um, in the movie Kung Fu Panda, if you've ever seen it, uh, the Kung Fu Panda is, is about this uh, panda named Po. He's uh, lazy, he's out of shape, um, and he just likes to eat a lot, but he has, he has dreams of becoming a legendary Kung Fu master. And uh, there's, this, uh, there's this, uh, this ceremony that, that's going on, and, and somehow uh, it, the, the person who's, who's like the, the master of everything, he, he, he names Po as the dragon master, the, the dragon warrior, the one who is going to be, who is prophesied, the one who would, who would be the master of Kung Fu and would kind of have all sorts of unlimited power. And, and nobody could believe it. And everybody doubted him. And everybody was discouraging him from even trying to train anymore. But eventually, there's this, uh, this little red panda named Master Shifu. He's the master of the dojo. And, and he takes Po in and he starts to train him. And one of the first things he does, is he takes a bowl of dumplings and he sets it, or he, or he holds it in front of Poe, and he says, okay, when you've finished your training, you can eat the dumplings. And so that starts off as, as a big motivator for Poe. He starts to like, work really hard and, and furiously, try to train as, as fast as he can in order to eat the dumplings. And he finally gets to a point when Master Shifu sits across the table from him, and he sits the dumplings down, and he says, okay, now, Poe, you can eat. And Poe takes his chopsticks, and he reaches for the first dumpling, and Master Shifu takes his chopsticks, and he swats them away. And then Poe's like, what? And then he reaches for another one, and Master Shifu swats it away again. And then it starts getting a little more physical, and Poe starts to like, try, to, try to lunge for the, for, the, uh, for the dumplings, and Master Shifu blocks him. And it turns into this epic, epic battle between Master Shifu and Poe for the dumplings. And, and over time, Master Shifu would continually block him and defend, and he would eat the dumplings slowly as they were going. Master Shifu would, and Poe would, would be getting more and more frustrated. He's just, and, and as they train, Poe is getting more and more agile. More, he's, he's getting quicker. He's getting faster. He's getting more determined. He's building up his stamina. And then in the end, finally, he defeats Master Shifu for the last dumpling, and he holds it in his chopsticks. He's about to eat it, and he says... I'm not hungry anymore. And he puts it down. And, he, and he is, he's finished his training, you know. And, 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 the, and the dumplings, although they didn't really have much to do with Kung Fu, they served the purpose of teaching Po all sorts of lessons. All sorts of lessons that would prepare him for his calling. And uh, so, you know, we have Saul here, who is the chosen one. He's, he's, not, uh, he's not the chosen dragon warrior, Right? But he is the chosen one by Jesus who would carry Jesus' name to the ends of the earth. But before he can get to doing that, he needs to learn some lessons. 
He needs to learn some lessons about himself. He needs to learn some lessons about God. And I, I think that that's what these verses, from verse 23 to 31, are about, are about some things that, that Saul learns and needs to learn, things that God wants to teach Saul that will prepare him for his mission, for his ministry, as he declares Jesus' name. And I think these are lessons that every single one of us needs to learn as we hope to, to serve God, as we hope to serve others and love them. Okay? They're things that we all need to learn. And, and the, there, there are three lessons that I see here. There's the, the lesson of the basket, the lesson of Barnabas, and the lesson of banishment. Three beats, okay? So first of all, let's look at the basket lesson. All right? what, is, what does God want to teach him, teach Saul, and teach us through this basket? See, Saul's life has been changed, radically changed. He's seen the truth that Jesus is legitimately the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the one through whom we can experience peace and life. And, and, and if, if you will trust in Jesus, that, that is the only way that you can have life and joy and peace. And so, so Saul has learned this, and, and, he's, and, he's getting, and he's, he started even to, to argue with people and convince them that this is who Jesus is. Okay? But then what happens? As you look in verse 23 and 24, he's in Damascus for many days. As you look in, in Galatians, you learn that, that basically three years pass before he goes down to Jerusalem. So he's in, in Damascus for many days, and eventually the Jews start plotting to kill him. But their plot becomes known to Saul in verse 24. And so as, as the, the Jews are getting ready, to, they're, they're laying in wait to try to kill Saul, what does Saul do? Saul and his disciples take him, and they put him in a basket, and then they lower him through an opening in the wall, and then lower him down to the ground outside the wall so that he can escape, Right? So here's Saul. Think about Saul and, and, and this experience that Saul was, was having as he's sitting in this basket, being lowered down to the ground. See, this is Saul. Saul is a guy who's, who's used to, to being influential and powerful. He's used to being able to go where he wants to go, do what he wants to do, right? He, he's been taking people's lives. He's had, he's had authority over the lives of other people. He has been very strong and powerful, and now he's sitting in a basket and he's being lowered by other people. Can you think of many other, way, many other like, uh, situations where you would feel more vulnerable and powerless than when you're sitting in a basket suspended by other people? What can you do when you're sitting in that basket? Nothing. How can you defend yourself? It's very hard to defend yourself when you're sitting in a basket from people who might want to attack you. Can you even run away and escape? No, you're just confined to the basket. You can do nothing except rely on the people who are holding the basket, except rely on the one, on God himself, who is overseeing this whole operation. And I think as he sits in the basket, what we, what we learn later in 2 Corinthians, we read that passage earlier in the service, right? We learn that, that Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. One of the things that he learned as he was sitting in that basket is his weakness. He's not as strong as he thinks. And, and he's pushed to, to consider how, how as, he, as he pursues ministry, the only way he's going to be able to do that is by relying on the strength of God, not his own strength. He, he was, he was, he's been put in, in touch with his utter weakness, his utter helplessness, his limitations, right? And he needs to rely on one who is stronger. He needs to rely on God. And as you consider the things that God has called you to do, 
the people that God has called you to love and to care for, remember the lesson of the basket. You're, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as capable as you think you are. I think all of us tend to gravitate towards the things that we're really good at, the things that we feel comfortable with, the things that we feel capable at, right? That's what we, we tend to focus on in our lives and, and, and do because when we do those things, we feel like we can do that. We, we can accomplish it. You know, it's, it's, it's within our power to do that. And God wants to remind us we're not as strong as we think we are. He wants to remind us that in everything we need to rely on him. That, that, that includes things where we might feel very weak. It, it, he's, he's encouraging us to step into things where we might not feel as confident or capable. Because it's in the midst of our weakness. What, what, what does Paul say later in, in 2 Corinthians? We didn't read it today. But as you, as you continue reading in, in chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians, he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when I'm in, in the midst of my weakness that, I, that the power of Christ rests on me. That is what life is needs to be about, is about learning to, to cling to Jesus and the power of Jesus that he, that he gives us in order to do what he calls us to do. We cannot do it in our own strength. We must rely on him. We must pray. And, and, and that, that especially includes the things that we do feel capable of, we, the things that we feel confident in, in ourselves. It, it, it's so easy to just kind of live life Relying on ourselves. And Jesus says, no, I want you to rely on me. I want you to rest in what I can do. I mean, that's, that's the essence of what faith is. I, in the new members class last week, I share this story in all of the new members classes, so forgive me for the, those of you guys who were there last week, but, uh, but there, there's this uh, famous tightrope walker. Have you heard of him? I, th- I think his name is Blondine. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he, and he stretches his tightrope across Niagara Falls, and, and he, he walks across it. Everybody's amazed. This huge crowd gathers, and, and, then he, and, then, and then he walks back. Everybody's cheering for him, and he says, how many of you guys believe I can push this wheelbarrow across and come back with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, yeah, that, we believe you can do it. That looks so easy the first time you did it. We believe you can do it. And then he says, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? Who is going to embrace their weakness and their helplessness and sit in the wheelbarrow and trust me to take care of you, to get you where we need to go? And, and that's, that's you know, what, a, a part of what, what Saul is learning as he sits in this basket. It's not about what I can do. It's about him taking care of me, getting me where I need to go. And that, that applies to everything that we're trying to accomplish in our lives. As, as you serve in the church, if you're serving in the church in any areas, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're helping lead in, in, in a different ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, as you, as you help to serve people through the benevolence ministry, we need to rely on him, not on ourselves. As you try to love people in your lives, your friends, as you care for them, as you, as you give them advice, we need to rely on him, not ourselves. As we, as we raise our children, we need to rely on him, not ourselves and our wisdom. So that's the basket lesson. The second uh, lesson that uh, Saul needs to learn from is the Barnabas lesson. In verse 26, Saul comes to Jerusalem. And you can imagine he probably had all sorts of feelings, sorts of emotions as he was approaching Jerusalem. Um, I can imagine he might have been nervous. I mean, the people, the, the church at large knew who Saul was, right? He had been a guy who'd been, who'd been persecuting the church, had been hunting people down. 
And so he can, you can imagine that Saul might have been a little apprehensive. How are they going to welcome me? What are they going to think of me? Will they welcome me? He might have also been somewhat eager and excited because, you know, remember last week when Ananias came to him, what did Ananias say? Brother, Saul, you're part of the family. You're accepted. And so maybe he's, like, he's, he's looking forward to, to meeting these, these leaders in the church in Jerusalem that hopefully they will embrace him and accept him as well and maybe be, experience some reconciliation with them. And he'll be able to minister alongside them. I mean, he has just, he's just left his entire life behind. He's burned all of his bridges, right? All of the people, that, the Pharisees, his friends before, these people that, were, that are critical of the church, he's, he's left them. And now he has no one else unless the church embraces him. It must have been scary. And so he gets to Jerusalem, and, and, and how is he welcomed? It says they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. He was greeted with doubt and skepticism. You know, stay back, Saul. I don't know if we can trust you. I don't know if we're safe with you. And, and can you imagine how that might have felt? It, it, it would have been isolating. It would have been incredibly lonely for Saul. What am I going to do? I've got no one else. No one. And then enters Barnabas. And Barnabas enters the scene. In verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. See, this guy, Barnabas, steps in and, and starts standing up for Saul and, 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 and defends Saul and, and, and brings him to the other disciples, the other apostles. And it says, he, he's okay. You guys need to accept him. Can you imagine how that must have felt for Saul when Barnabas showed up, suddenly realizing, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God provides Barnabas to, to be a tangible, physical um, lesson for Saul that, that God is with him. He's going to be okay. He, he, he's not alone, no matter how it might feel or look. And that's a really beautiful thing that Barnabas does for him. And, 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 and as, as we think about our life, as we think about the things that we are called to do, as we, that we're attempting to do, God wants us to know we are not alone. And one of the ways he does that is he gives us people. He gives us people around us to be a Barnabas for us. And, and a lot of us, I think, we live in a world where, where it's, in a lot of ways, maybe easy to live lives that are isolated, to kind of keep people at arm's length. We need to, to be open to welcoming people into our lives, that they might be a Barnabas, that they might be reminders of God's presence in our lives, to say, you're not alone. Um, there's a real statement here about the fact that as, as Saul looks towards this ministry that he's going to have, this is not something that, that he dare do by himself. He needs other people. And as you think about the things that you are trying to accomplish in your life, as you think about your family that you're trying to love, your friends that you're trying to support and encourage, you need other people to help you do that. You need other people. You need to, to be willing to invite people into your life, to open your life up to them. We need others in our lives. But it's also a challenge, I think, for us to, to, to take a lesson from Barnabas in being that person for other people. And being a person who, who comes alongside the people around us to encourage them, to let them know that they're not alone, 
You know what Barnabas means? Actually, Barnabas isn't really his name. Did you realize that? We're introduced to Barnabas in, in Acts 4, and his actual name is Joseph. But the apostles just called him Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. This guy was such an encouraging guy that they, they actually, I have never heard of somebody getting a nickname that's longer than their regular name. But Barnabas is one whose nickname is longer. I mean, I, I, I pray that, that our church would be full of we, that more people that have the nickname Barnabas in it, right? That, that we would be a people who are, who are actively moving towards one another to encourage them, to let them know that they're not alone. Barnabas, I talk about heroes of the Bible. Barnabas is, is rarely mentioned by many people as a great Bible hero. You know, we always immediately look to Abraham and Moses and David, Paul. Barnabas gets overlooked a lot of times, but Barnabas is, is one of the heroes of the Bible. A true encourager, one who reminds us of, of the way that God loves us. Because that is who God is, the one who is a true encourager. I want you to know that you're not alone. When I was growing up, you know, I would put posters, and like most kids do put posters on their walls of, of their heroes, of people they want to be like. When I was a kid, I had posters of the uh, Los Angeles Raiders secondary. It was like Lester Hayes, the guy who played defense for the Raiders. He was on my wall. That's who I wanted to be like. You know, other kids have posters of like pop stars or, or, or movie stars, things like that. We should encourage our kids to, to get some posters of Barnabas to put up on their wall, you know? If only we had more paintings of Barnabas that we could put in our living rooms. There aren't a whole lot of those going around. But Barnabas really is a glimpse, uh, an example of, of God here and the way that he comes alongside Paul. And he, and he does it. Look, look at the way that Barnabas does it. I mean, he, he does it at great risk to himself, right? He attaches himself to this guy who is seen as an enemy, who is looked at with suspicion. He makes himself vulnerable in order to love Saul and to stand next to him and to be with him, right? And he defends him. We could all learn a lot from, from Barnabas here and how to love one another. And so Saul needed to learn that the basket lesson, that he's, he's not as strong as he thinks, the Barnabas lesson, that he's not alone, that he needs others to, to, to accomplish the mission that God's given him to, to, to accomplish. And lastly, he gives him, he's given the banishment lesson. The banishment lesson. In verse 28, Saul is, is going in and out now among them at Jerusalem. He's preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he speaks and disputes with the Hellenists. Now these are probably the guys, a lot of the same guys that, that killed Stephen back in chapter 7. These are guys that probably Saul knew, remember? He was part of that group that killed Stephen. And now he's arguing with them. And now they're feeling about Saul the same way they felt about Stephen. And they're making plans to kill him. And so the brothers learn of this in verse 30. And it says they bring him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. That's Paul's hometown, and it's far away in Turkey. It's far away. And, and so he's banished in a sense, not as a punishment, but he's banished in order to, to keep him safe so that he won't be killed. But this is what I find interesting. Is, is so, so Saul is, is declared by Jesus earlier in the chapter as, as the instrument who's going to, to proclaim the name of Jesus to the world, right? Not just to the Gentiles, but even to the, to the children of Israel and kings. He's going to be the one who's, who Jesus is going to use to, to proclaim his name. And now we have here in this passage He's just being sent away. 
And what happens after he gets sent away? If you keep reading in the next, in the next paragraph, I think it's kind of, it, it's, it doesn't fit together for me. In verse 31, it says, so, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Saul, the instrument who's going to carry the name of Jesus, is sent away, and now the church grows and multiplies. What? I thought Saul was going to be the one that's going to, that God's going to use to grow the church. No, Saul gets sent away, and God grows the church anyways. He does it in the, in the absence of this instrument that he's going to use. And I think one of the things that that, that shows us is that Saul's not indispensable. He, it doesn't all rest on him, right? He gets sent away, and God still does whatever he wants to do, because it's, that's, that's what the whole book of Acts is about, is about. It's about God doing what he wants to do through broken people, sometimes in the absence of, of people, right? That's what the entire Bible, the message of the Bible is about. That's what that, the core of the gospel is about. It's about God doing it all. We tend to think that we're indispensable when we think about you know, trying to solve the problems of the people around us, trying to take care of the people around us, trying to do ministry. We tend to think that it all rests on us. We have this tendency to think that it all rests on us. I, I think as, as, pastor, as a pastor, I, most pastors are, are afflicted with this kind of sense of you know, it, it all rests on me. If I'm not here, it's all going to fall apart. But I think that, that goes for all of us in, in all, all sorts of areas of our lives, doesn't it? It rests on me. We are indispensable. This past week, um, somebody ordered a, uh, a new uh, salt spreader for the church, and it came this week, and it was mostly put together. There was very little left to do. But, so I was like, oh, this shouldn't take too long. I'll just finish putting it together. So I got out the, the I actually tried to follow the directions and everything. And, uh, and I put it together, it was, but it was, it was more challenging than I wanted it to be. But I actually got it put together. But in the end, there was one piece that was left over. And it's, it wasn't just like an extra screw. It was actually a legitimate, like, separate, like, individual piece that's listed in the things that are provided. I couldn't find anywhere in the directions that told me where to put it. And it's got a name and everything. I'm like, this thing's not going to work unless we can figure out where this goes. I'm all stressed. I'm like, I can't lose this thing. We're, what's going to happen if we, don't, if we, if we lose it? I, it's, it's not going to work. It's, it, everything, everything rests on this piece. I've got to figure out what to do with this piece. I think we, our lives are full of all sorts of anxiety because we think everything rests on us. By the way, any of you guys who uh, want to help me figure out where to put that piece, <laughs> we can talk about it after the service is over. It's in the shed. <laughs> but uh, we, we tend to think that everything rests on us. And one of the things this last paragraph points out, it doesn't. It doesn't. It rests on the power of God. At the very most, we, it's a privilege for us to, to be able to partner with him, to be able to be used by him. But it rests on him. How your children turn out, it can be very stressful being like, I gotta know all the right answers. Ultimately, he is much bigger than us having the right answers or the wrong answers. Right? Um, me helping my, my, my friend through this difficult time in their life, trying to, to solve their problem and help them, you know, help them get through it, it doesn't rest on me. It's, 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 it's dependent on God and his power. As, as I do my work and, and, I'm, and I've got this project that's just like, I don't know how this is going to happen, it doesn't ultimately rest on me. I need to rely on him and trust him. 
that he has a plan. As we seek to, to become a church that has an impact in the lives of people in, in our community and in the world, yes, we need to follow God and serve him and see how he wants us to be, to be loving people, but, but it doesn't ultimately rest on us, it rests on him. And we need to celebrate that, we need to worship him for that, and we need to rest in that. Again, as I said, this is, this is really what's at the heart of the gospel message, isn't it? We might be tempted to think that, that my relationship with God, my peace with God, my forgiveness, it's dependent on me, on, on how hard I'm trying, on how much I'm doing, on how sorry I am. Ultimately, my relationship with God doesn't rest on me, it rests on him what he has done, what he is doing. And this is the beauty. We need to learn. God wants to teach Saul these lessons. He he wants to teach us these lessons about the fact that that we're not as strong as we think. We need others. We're we're not alone. It it doesn't depend on us. Um, but But the great thing about God as a teacher is that he's not just up there, you know, like giving us the assignment Okay, learn it and then come back and then, you know, giving us all C's, D's, F's. Have you ever, if those of you guys have kids, um, your kids get projects sometimes and they're way harder than the kids can do themselves so you end up having to do the project for them, basically? Have any of you guys done a project for your kid? No, never. (laughs) Isn't it the worst when you actually do a lot of work on that project and then you find out that later that they got a bad grade on it? God only ever gets straight A's. Everything that he does is perfect. The work that he has done to to make a way for us to to be reconciled to him and to be forgiven and to be loved by him is perfect, and he has done it for us. That is what we need to rest on as we continue to seek to learn the lessons that he wants us to to learn, and as we continue to to seek to, to live our lives missionally, loving other people, Proclaiming his name, making his name known to other people in our lives. To our friends, to our coworkers, to the other kids in our school, to our families. So let's rest in him and trust him. Know that he loves us and that we're not alone. And let's worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to learn the lessons that you want us to learn about who you are, about the, the, the fact that you are strong and powerful and good and loving, that we are not as strong as we think we are. Father, we pray that you would help us to learn to depend on you rather than on ourselves. Father, we thank you for this opportunity as we, as we approach your table now to be reminded of your strength in the face of our weakness, to, remind it, to be reminded that, that we are not alone, that you have come toward us at great sacrifice and, uh, and, and that we are loved, not because of, of the, the work that we do, the assignments that we complete, but because you have done it for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.